everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. Uh, we have somehow made it to episode 50, and we've got a very special guest, uh, Clint Bodigen. Uh Clint has quite literally written the first book on industrial cybersecurity. If you are watching live, you can see it under Baby Yoda behind him called <laughs> Hacking Exposed or Industrial Control Systems Hacking Exposed. Um, let's just jump on and say, hey, Clint, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, I do have to admit, it's not the first book on um, ICS or OT cybersecurity. Oh, you know, back in the day, you had um, SCADA security by Crutz, Ronald Crutz, I think. Okay. You know, and then um, there's been a few. Brian Singer wrote one. Uh, mm -hmm. Bob Radvanosky wrote one. And then um, SCADA hacker himself, uh, Joel Langell, uh, with Eric Knapp, wrote a couple and so but i will say that the hacking exposed industrial control system is the first offensive perspective um ics ot cybersecurity book so we'll go there appreciate the clarification on that clint and thank you thank you again for taking the time uh to join us i wanted to start us off as we always do with your background and i've looked at your linkedin profile you have a vast I would say diverse uh, experience in both ICS, but also on the SCADA side a little bit, but you started off in the military, in the Air Force. So I wanted you to maybe give us a, I would say like a timeline, but let's start with, uh, you know, that initial experience with a little bit more emphasis. So in the Air Force, um, I barely even got into computers and computer security, maybe halfway through. I wasn't uh, really, I was just an aerial transporter for the air combat command. So it was an air, um, air transporter for the B-52s. And so anytime the B-52s deployed um, and there were some, some other cool, um, cool things that we did overseas to get away from the, the normal air, you know, kind of the, we were FedEx with guns basically is what it was, but you know, you're not always doing that. You're not always, deployed. And so I worked in the land office and I in, back then when I first started, there was not a computer on every desk. And our first networks were BNC, you know, bayonet connectors on token ring networks. And so I worked in that. And at some point I was the, I was the OPSEC manager as well. And so at some point they made me the CSSP, the computer system security officer for my flight. And then, and then the squadron whenever that became a thing. And then, you know, as time went on, got to work with the um, OSI CCI, which is the Office of Special Investigations, Computer Crime Investigation Unit. And that's really where I got into cybersecurity. Uh, but when I got out is I worked for a little ISP for a little while and then moved back to Houston, worked for a network services firm where I tried to build their cybersecurity business. This was around 2000, 2001. And when I really got into cybersecurity was when I took a contract with Symantec. And that was a turning point in my career because that's when I really got into real security. I started off as an SQA engineer for their IDS systems, their, their IDS that they were developing. And so I got to work with the developers of that while also testing it, writing Perl scripts and hacking IDS and, you know, and seeing if the IDS picks it up. And then I actually got to write some code on their IDSs as well. So that's when I fell in love with network coding and became a packet geek. So that's where everything really started. And the question you're probably going to ask next is, you know, how and when I got into industrial control systems from there. And well, I wanted to, I wanted to ask first, you know, the transition, or I guess like the learning curve of that time when you got into, I guess, maybe more advanced like cybersecurity, what was that uh, learning curve like, right? And how did they maybe prepare you for the field? Because uh, I'm assuming you you didn't do a traditional like degree maybe uh, at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, not at all. So in the Air Force, it was they had uh, oh man, what was it? Was it Skillsoft? I think it was or something. They had all the old the CBTs, and so you could take the CBTs for all the MCSE courses and the networking courses, and it was it was a lot of self study. There was no formal training or education, and I was taking a programming course through. There was a a certification course through McGraw Hill Education is called National Radio Institute. And I took a programming course through there. I eventually started working on my bachelor's degree through uh, Louisiana Tech University while they're in, in Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana in computer science. And so I did get some formal education, 
but it was all self uh, self exploration. And then whenever I got, <laughs> so the path from the air force to Symantec, I mean, it was really a path of really studying, really trying to learn and then going to interviews and learning how much I didn't actually know, but it was a lot of people willing to help me and give me a chance. You know I mean? I remember uh, when I worked at the ISP there, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Robert Rose, uh, not Robert Rhodes, my, my, C- my acting CFO and head of sales at Gretchen, but Rose, um, he, um, you know, he gave me a shot. You know, he saw that I had potential, but I didn't have the skills yet. And he hooked me up with people that would give me the skills. And the same thing when I went to go work at Symantec, I had no business working there. I mean, I did, I, I, I wrote a few Pearl scripts and read the book and, and knew how to talk the talk. But when I got on board, I learned that I really didn't know that much, but a, a guy by the name of Chad Skipper gave me a shot. And then there was just so many people willing to mentor me and train me up on the job. That's really how it happened. Yeah, and I, I think that's key. You know, I, I mean, obviously it's uh, hard to, to, to realize maybe that perspective in the moment, but looking back, I think those people played a very important role in, in building your career and like knowledge base where you are today. So what happened yeah. next? What was, how does the, I would say the industrial maybe setting or the SCADA positions like came in? Yeah. So I went to, um, after that contract ended, um, a lot of big story there, but the contract ended, I had a brief stint working in the, the financial uh, industry. I got hired um, by a bank as the vice president of um, IT security. It was a Texas bank, actually one of, they have the most branches in, in small branches and like Walmarts and, and stores uh, in Texas. So it was the largest bank in Texas. And I just, there was a lot of stuff I can't say, but let's just say that, you know, sometimes people are more interested in checking the boxes and telling regulators something that isn't true. And me being head of that department, it was my butt on the line. So decided that that wasn't for me. So um, I interviewed for a job here in Houston where an oil and gas company it was for a consultant and the oil and gas company wanted to secure their SCADA systems. And so it was a pipeline company and there was a SCADA. So my first intro was SCADA and pipeline. And I've worked mostly in pipeline, most of my career, most of my customers, that's what I'm most familiar with. And, um, but they, I never heard of SCADA. And they told me that they wanted to interview me to potentially help this company secure their SCADA systems. They even told me in the interview, hey, you probably never heard of SCADA, but that's okay. And I got the job and, um, it was again on the job training and just a lot of people showing me the ropes and teaching me about SCADA while I helped them secure it and do some things there. And I'm not going to say the name of the company, but um, it, it is important to note that all those people that mentored me into that company and, and, and taught me the SCADA and all, and just, I'm still friends with all of those people to this day. They're still very close friends of mine and they've dispersed throughout the industry. Some of the people, I mean, some of the, some of the people actually, you know, still work at, the, the company, the, the oil and gas firm that we're with. And um, it's, it's, it's the people that you meet and that teach you and train you along the way that make the difference. Oh, absolutely. And what was your, you know, I, I'm curious about your perspective at the time, maybe again, looking back with the, with the current um, situation in mind, but what was your perspective of the manufacturing slash like maybe oil and gas industry, right? Like, was it, surprising for you to see what was happening on the security side was it maybe the same as you had experienced before was it again probably banking was like a, a rather big transition but what, what were your thoughts at the time if you can recall yeah yeah i mean I, I think my thoughts back then were the same as a lot of people still think now which is you know i just, i couldn't believe how legacy and how old the systems were you know on on this skate i was with the I, I'm going to keep, even, I'm not even going to mention product names, but um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazed how simplistic the entire architecture was comparatively to a huge enterprise architecture with uh, all these server zones and data centers and everything like that. Um, and yeah, from a security perspective, I mean, you can, you don't even have to ask what I thought when, <laughs> you know, when I saw this, how SCADA systems work. And, and this was all SCADA at this time. There was no DCS. Um, it was all SCADA. And 
it, you know, it was all Linux based Unix and Linux based and got to see my first PLC and my first RTU. And, and, uh, I almost feel like I kind of took a step back. I mean, I, I felt like the one-eyed king in the land of the blind, right? I mean, you know, I was probably at the beginning of my cybersecurity career, I was probably somewhere between novice and intermediate at that point. But I mean, I was the security guru at this point, when I went, you know, when I, when I uh, went into this environment. So. Which I think presents uh, good opportunities, right? If you view it from the positive side, there's obviously a lot of maybe problems to solve, but at the same time, it uh, maybe allowed you to, as you said, be the guru, but also offer really good solutions based on your previous experience. And so what, uh, you know, what was that like and how did you transition into what you're doing now? Could you paint this maybe the last portion of that picture? Yeah. So, I mean, it was all, you know, just learning a lot, right? I mean, I think one of the advantages that I had going in was that I've always been a self-teacher, a self-learner. And, and so I, you know, I continued to study and learn the things, you know, outside of my job, you know, it helped that I was single and young and, you know, had, had no life. And so I, I spent a lot of time and just studying, but, and this is kind of interesting. So the consulting firm that I worked for, they, they ended up, I guess, you know, shutting down. I was, I was on a, a different project. And, and out, uh, was in Washington at the time. So out of, out of state and one Friday they called everybody up and they said, we're shutting down. And I was like, okay, I'm stuck in, uh, in Washington. And so I, what am I going to do? And at the time, you know, I knew as I was learning more about everything, um, one of the people I looked up to was Jonathan Polay. He was a competitor of mine at the time. And, and so I reached out to him and, you know, the conversation went well, we ended up working together and ended up getting hired eventually. And, you know, the rest is history, but you know, people like Jonathan Polay, Mark Fabro, Eric Byers, these guys have all, I met, you know, long ago when I first started my career, these were the OGs, man. These were, you know, these, these were, you probably had 10 people in the world, you know, that, that had that level of experience with, with, SCADA and DCS security. And back then, I think everybody, the, the, the buzzword, the, the catch acronym back then was PCS, right? Process Control Networks. And, um, and so, you know, just getting to, to study and work with people like that was really launched my career into overdrive. You know, I, I could say that I was, I was trained by the best. And this was at the consulting company or the one that was built, like having you work on the SCADA systems in uh, oil yeah, and gas? The, the, the customer, the oil and gas customer, they, they're still around. Uh, it was the consulting company that, that shut down. So I, that's when I called out to Jonathan. And, um, and at the time, his company was Plant Data. And it was eventually re- acquired by Verano, which renamed to Industrial Defender. And how did you transition into, I guess, your current venture? And I, I'd like to get a little bit more information. Obviously, <laughs> I don't think all the viewers would be familiar with it. So maybe uh, give us how you got there and then explain to us what uh, you do at ThreadGen. Yeah, let's fast forward um, to 2017. So my entire career has been a series of industrial control systems, services, consulting, everything like that. And, and that's so... In 27, let's say in 2013, I was working for a company where we were trying to figure out better ways to hold remote training for industrial control systems. You know, um, that that wall you have behind you doesn't scale well over the web, right? Um, doesn't scale well for remote. And so we started looking for ways to do remote accessible industrial control systems to where people could have access to hardware and digital equipment, but also instead of just having a readout on a screen or an HMI to give them feedback, we wanted, we wanted kinetic, we wanted to simulate cyber physical kinetic impact. So we looked into gaming, gaming engines. And so in 2013, that's when I set out on an adventure to become a game developer. And one of my current uh, business partners and founders, Aaron Shabib, uh, we were working together at the time in so as we were going down this path of becoming game developers to learn how to create industrial control systems simulations, 
going through this, the trials and tribulations and failing and learning what not to do. About, I don't know, three months later, he comes to me and he says, you know, my brother is a PhD in game design. Maybe we should ask him. But about three months later, and I was like, you waited until now to tell me. So we created a bunch of 3D simulations and virtual reality simulations and all of that, but um, couldn't make a business of it because while it was cool, it didn't have a, a marketable use case. And so it continued to be a hobby. And then in 2017 was when we decided to, okay, well, let's put a company around this. So ThreatGen, my current company, is, was founded in 2017. And then in 2018, Michael Farnham at HughesetCon comes to me and says, hey, can you teach a red ver In 2017, I taught a red, ver red versus blue class, red team versus blue team class. In 2018, he wanted me to do it again. And he wanted me to do it in one day, kind of like the previous year. And I said, well, last year, it didn't work out so well. It's hard to teach a red team versus blue team class in one day. And so we decided to, well, use our game, new gaming skills. And so we kind of made like a, a, a cyber board game sort of thing to where um, you have a red team against a blue team. And it worked out. It worked out for us. So that became red versus blue, threat gen red versus blue. And then um, Dr. Conklin, Dr. Art Conklin at U of H, he goes, man, he was in the class that we did. And he says, you could sell this. And he goes, I would use this in my class. And so that was the path we took. We said, you know what? Doing gamification, um, and that's the time, the, the catch-all phrase, gamification, but it's more uh, game-based learning is what it is. And so we built Red versus Blue, and then 2019, we all quit our jobs and started doing this full-time. And so that's what became ThreatGen Red versus Blue. That's where it came from. And uh, 2019 was our launch point, and uh, we've been building it ever since then. Well, I have many questions. Uh, let me, Dave, let me ask one last one before I kind of pass the mic over to you. Um, and I, I do want to dive in a little bit deeper into, you know, red versus blue and thread gen in general, but I wanted to make sure I understood this correctly. So the initial idea that you were pursuing with uh, game design per se, not maybe necessarily gamification at first, but you wanted to develop a platform that would allow better, I would say, training materials for control systems, and you could visualize that in a game, right? So some kind of a 3D environment right. that allows you to, mm -hmm. okay, I got you. And so the, I guess the maybe realization was that there's a better business case to use those skills in cybersecurity rather than maybe the traditional control systems, or what was, I would say, like, what was the, the changing point where you went from that initial thought in did the cybersecurity path instead? It was the use case, right? Trying to do the 3D simulations at that point for just industrial control systems, there wasn't there wasn't really a marketable use case. It wasn't obvious to customers or ourselves on, you know, okay, how do you use it? What's the best way to use this? And it was going, it was creating the, it's what, we, it's what now what we call active adversary simulation to where, okay, you, number one, you, it's best to play this against an opponent, you know, and instead of just running through a simulation, you know, let's do this like it is in real life. Let's have an active adversary playing against you um, so that you, you know, and so it was kind of that, but we also did realize that if we're going to make a business out of this, it's, we're going to have to have something that scales outside of just industrial control systems to the broader, I broader cybersecurity market. Um, and, that's kind of one of the things that didn't exist really, which you have CTFs and you had, you had all these things to do self-training and, and capture the flags and all the stuff like that. There was nothing out there that allowed you to actually play against an adversary and gamification or game based learning allowed us to do that. So that was the thought pattern. And that's what the, what the transition was. Interesting. Really cool. Dave, uh, you want to jump in? Absolutely. So uh, everyone in this conversation knows I'm, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing with Red versus Blue Clint. Can you kind of, we've kind of talked around it a little bit, but can you give everyone who's listening an overview of what Red versus Blue is and maybe what gamification is and how you guys are using it and the end outcomes, please? Yeah. So in short, uh, ThreatGen, Red versus Blue. ThreatGen is the company. Red versus Blue is the product. People call it both. Uh, sometimes just people refer to the product as ThreatGen. Either way, um, it is a cybersecurity simulation platform. So it's, it, it's, it is a gamification platform because it entails the elements of gamification, 
competition leaderboards and stuff like that. But it in itself is a game-based learning tool, which is you're actually doing cybersecurity simulations. And so it's, it's a game and it's gamification. But it's designed, like I said earlier, it's designed to allow trainees, students, staff, whatever, to, to learn and practice cybersecurity skills, do incident response exercises, uh, security awareness in a way that is more immersive and engaging. This gaming environment's a little more fun. Okay, a lot more fun. And um, like I said, against that active adversary so that you're doing it like you would be doing in real life. So that's, that's what it is. So, and it's, we've got this education portal around it. So you've got guided labs and uh, IR tabletop scenarios. And so it's really kind of this cybersecurity simulation tabletop in a box kind of thing. Um, that's what red versus blue is in its essence. Gamification is kind of the new latest buzzword. It's been growing. And gamification can be applied to anything. Gamification is the, the method of adding game-like features to anything. So leaderboards, points, badges, to make it more interesting, to keep people engaged, to keep people at the forefront, keep it at the forefront of their mind. And then you dive deeper into gamification. Gamification is that catch-all. You dive deeper into gamification, and then you get game-based learning, game-based training, where instead of just having game features, you're actually using the game to, to train. Interesting. And so as, as a follow-up, I, I guess you guys offer it in a couple of different forms, right? Like I, I know the first time I told Vlad about it, I think I was about halfway through the explanation and he went and he purchased it on Steam. And I think about the time that I finished the explanation on it, he was like going through and he was through like the second round as I was trying to explain it. So I think that's very interesting. But what are the what are the major benefits of you know an enterprise customer? Like, let's say I own an oil pipeline, or let's say you know I make you know paper products and I cut down trees. Like, why would I want to bring this like really cool game to my facility? What are the outcomes, and how do we train our operators? How do we train our our kind of support staff, our SCADA staff uh, around that? Right. So yeah, we, we released the game on Steam uh, in its infancy first. Um, so that, I mean, it was into, so we could test industry test it, right? I mean, we had, you know, 2000 beta testers. So as we developed the pro version, the pro version turned into a more complete educational tool. So you have just the game by itself on Steam, but the pro version has an entire educational portal. So you have, so first of all, you get context around the game, you get guided labs, you get scenarios and things like that. So it, it helps you learn as opposed to just playing the game and hope you learn, right? Um, the kind of pro and enterprise versions have more extensive environments and they have more scenarios for the education, they have labs. So most importantly, what we found was earlier on in development, we found that we didn't even intend to make this an IR tabletop exercise tool at first. It was strictly meant for just cybersecurity education. And again, with that benefit of you're getting the red versus blue, you're getting that active adversary and it's, you're doing it in an immersive environment. The other thing I would say is that it's not technical, but it's detailed. So you're not doing command line stuff. It's not a cyber range. You're, this is a strategy game where you're learning how to build a cybersecurity program, manage budget, but you're putting in firewalls and you're segmenting your network. Um, on the red team side, you're still doing recon, you're still doing social engineering, physical attacks and all that, but it's point and click. All your actions are right there and you're pointing and clicking and dragging and dropping as opposed to having to do command line stuff, right? So anybody of any skill level can build a cybersecurity program or hack a network, right? So the benefits to the enterprise and the organizations and all this is that number one, you get a more immersive interactive learning method for leadership, for your employees, for your staff and everything like that. Um, back going to tabletop exercise, we, we found out that a lot of our customers were actually using the steam version to do tabletop exercises. I'm like, wow, if they're, if they're finding ways to do a tabletop exercise to, with, with steam, we figured it would be a good idea to facilitate that and build features in. So we built a tabletop exercise in a box. And so now instead of taking a, a month 
to plan a tabletop exercise with all the specifics and then have to manage the tabletop exercise and the logistics while you're trying to run and facilitate that, it's done for you. You click your environment, you click the scenario you want to run and you click go, let the computer, let the gaming engine and the computer AI do its thing. And, you know, and so you can break free from PowerPoints and, and Excel spreadsheets and all that. And instead of just using Inject, you have an active opponent trying to counter your every move. So it's a more, in my opinion, it's a more effective way to just train in general because it's more like real life. And then, you know, if people want to customize it, if they want to do a tabletop exercise, you know, with something that looks like a Visio diagram with action on their own, you know, that's, that's really what Red versus Blue is. It's, it's, a, it's Visio turned into a game, um, but it's prettier. But, the, uh, but, you know, I mean, you're, you're really doing, you know, you're, you're able to do cybersecurity training, security awareness training, uh, tabletop exercises in an environment that is similar to your own. If you want it customized, you want it to be your network, you know, you can do that too. So it's just a more, like I said, it's more interactive, it's more engaging, it's more entertaining, and it's more realistic. So, and you put all that together, it's just going to be more effective. Interesting. All right. So I've got at least one more follow-up on that, Vlad. It's, it's actually about you, right? So it's about you and I. And so I would say, Clint, you know, the, the one of the main goals of our cybersecurity theme is awareness, right? Like you're the expert, the other guests we've had on our experts, Vlad and I, maybe on our best day, fall into that novice category. Um, I, I like to joke that, you know, my biggest, uh, my biggest asset in cybersecurity is I've got a phone and I've got a list of people who I can call who can actually figure out, do the assessments, do that. So are, are we the sort of people who Red versus Blue are made for? Is it people who are specifically cybersecurity focused and are looking to expand their knowledge to the labs? Like, who is the folks like if Vlad and I were to go get red versus blue, one of these and go through a bunch of the labs, would we have a little bit of knowledge and a phone that we could call the right people on? Or is it meant for more technical people or less technical people? So first off, I'll say that, you know, I may be an expert in some things where there's a lot of areas that I'm not. And the one thing that I'm definitely an expert in is convincing everybody else that I'm an expert. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my biggest, you know, um, so red versus blue, we, we like to say, we, we basically have, uh, we have four types of, or, or groups of, of individuals that we target with red versus blue. First is, uh, in no particular order, there is the, the individual, which can be a student, a professional, someone who's self-learning or whatever. So that's one group. And then and as far as the skill level goes, let's divide that in two skill levels. So it's meant for someone who is either just learning or who wants to reinforce concepts, methods, and strategies that they've already learned. And so that's like, you have beginner to intermediate, but anybody who's, let's say, on the other side, who has advanced skill down to intermediate, um, also benefit from it just because you're taking the technical knowledge, they're, they're immersed in the, the keyboard, the, the minutia, and the, they're, they're, they're in the trenches, right? They have hard skills. What this does is it allows them to see the big picture. It, it, okay. it, it adds the strategic piece to their existing technical skills. Like I said before, at this time, Threads in Red versus Blue is not technical. No keyboard skills, no hard skills. And so it's, it's, it sits right between the beginner and the advanced technical with that strategy. So, it's, uh, so let's move on to um, the individual, right? And then there is businesses and organizations. Mm -hmm. So... Anybody who needs cybersecurity awareness training, you know what you know what that entails. You know what the, the the level is there. If you want to train your technical staff with IR tabletop exercises mm -hmm. or anything strategic or plan really incident response procedures and plan related type of stuff, um, we have organizations where we get engineers, IT staff, users, and CISOs all in the same room and do these team building exercises for awareness. And it's funny because then you get the CISOs. You know, part of the game is managing your budget and having to figure out how to get budget for your stuff. And yeah, yeah. they get frustrated because if you don't do the right things to get budget, you're not going to compel leadership to give you budget. And that's how it is in the yep. game. And you have CISOs going, is that what I really do to you? And everybody's like, yes. And so, um, <laughs> you know, so it's really good for cross collaboration training in businesses and organizations. So, you know, awareness, um, strategic cross collaboration training and um, and then um, 
you know, IR tabletop exercises. And then, you know, we have the, the, the third one is the event coordinators, yeah. which is basically people like to run CTFs or at conferences. You want something entertaining. This is a CTF yeah. that anybody can play, not just the technical people. So we have that and like tournament style as well as leaderboard style. And then the last one, of course, not least is education and, and educate ed, educators and trainers, right? So people that have existing curriculums, we, we, we have a lot of universities and colleges, community colleges that use this. So it helps reinforce the concepts in a more realistic and more practical way to, um, to existing curriculums, things like that. So like I said, that's the kind of the four, the users, the businesses, the event coordinators and the educators. And then the use cases are split through all of those, right? We've already talked about them. So yeah. our tabletop exercises, more immersive training, more practical training against an adversary, fill in the blank. Absolutely. So I love this. I'm going to let Vlad ask the next question. I am going to let everyone know they can check out ThreatGen and, or you guys can go ahead and Google ThreatGen Red versus Blue, check the information um, in the show notes. You guys can go learn all of this and more um, as to what, uh, as to what Clint and the group over there are doing. Uh, Vlad, where do we want to go from here? Well, I, I do have a follow-up to that, but I wanted to okay. mention, I guess, on, on a slight side note that me and Dave are still in discussion about doing a couple of episodes of us playing Red versus Blue. I think it's going <laughs> to offer maybe a, a very interesting perspective. Uh, as Dave mentioned, I did purchase the game, but I'm still fairly new <laughs> to cybersecurity in general. So I think it's going to be interesting to see you know, what options we pick and ultimately maybe to even paint a more, I would say, fundamental picture of the game and I think Clint has alluded to a couple of elements but you have your Absolutely. defenders who are the blue and red who are the attackers and each move costs you a certain it's uh, it's dollars but it's also time right so you can mm -hmm. take certain decisions as an example you could deploy a new firewall but at the same time you didn't hire a person right so, so you kind of make I guess, decisions and sacrifices based on your budget. And then on the red side, you can initiate different attacks. And then you're told, you know, what the consequences of those actions were. And you go until, uh, I haven't finished a full round, Clint, but ultimately you go until one or the other, I would assume kind of wins the uh, the whole game, correct? Yeah, there's so, so going back to your first point, yeah, everything, it's a turn-based game. Because uh, it's hard to represent uh, like weeks or months worth of time in, in a real time. So it's turn-based. Everything has a cost, right? Some so sort of resource, whether it's money, people, time. You, if you don't have enough staff, you can't do certain things. You don't have enough money, you can't do things. Um, and it, you know, it has the full gambit of things that you can do uh, from segmenting your network, putting in firewalls, IDSs, logs, everything. And so you, you perform these actions like you would in real life and having to think about the management side about how do I do it with these resources? And then the, the way that you win, there's several different ways, right? So we try to, we try to come up with realistic ways. If you're in an ICS environment, which the game originally only had ICS environments, originally I only had one. Um, but as we developed the game, um, since we come from ICS, it, it was just ICS for a while. So there's, destroying the process or, or, or disrupting the process was one of the ways that the red team wins. And then other ways, like basically the blue team, one of the ways the blue team wins is just to outlast the, okay. it, 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 until you get to what, 75 turns or whatever. Cause it's a highly configurable game. Wow. Set it about you want. But you know, you get to 75 turns and just outlast, you know, there's other ways now that we have added threat intelligence every single time, uh, you catch the red team doing something or you arrest them if they're on site doing physical security and they get arrested, your threat intelligence meter goes up. You can do threat hunting. Um, you can do forensics investigations when you're compromised wow. and that increases your threat intelligence score. And so eventually if your threat intelligence score gets to hundred percent, then the red team gets arrested. So that's one way to win. So there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different win scenarios and win conditions to exercise different things. No, absolutely. I appreciate that breakdown. I think it paints a really good picture of uh, what users can expect out of the game. Uh, Clint, we have a good question, or I would say more of a comment that I want to tie into, into my question from Jeffrey. And he says, William, that's exactly what happens in the real world. Mm -hmm. He says, never understand what the people on the ground do. They're looking at it from an engineering standpoint. They don't consider what happens in the field. So I want to maybe turn that around, not necessarily like, go into that specific discussion, but I wanted to, you know, turn into the real world and ask you, what do you typically see as, you know, maybe taking the cybersecurity people aside, what do you see the skill level of uh, maybe an automation engineer like tech 
level is. And obviously, I understand that there's going to be companies who are much more advanced in this than uh, than others. But what is your average assessment of maybe manufacturing again from a cybersecurity <laughs> standpoint? Loaded question, Vlad. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's really across the board, right? Because um, you know we we'll have some larger companies where they have experienced teams of whether it's SOC analysts, engineers, and, and, you know, actually operations engineers to where they'll run in workshops and events with this thing. And the experience level could be SOC analysts paired up with operations engineers. And so that skill level varies greatly there. And in terms of, um, you know, smaller shops, you'll usually probably have one person who acts as the cybersecurity manager or the CISO with quotes around it, who is very technical and all the staff they're trying to get involved are usually actually process engineers. And it's, it's, it's interesting because as you can imagine, the older process engineers are your grumpy Clint Eastwood types that don't want to play a game, you know, and it's a waste of their time. Sometimes I would say a little more than half the time they actually have fun with it. Um, but the game is designed to be cross-collaborative. It's designed to help uh, process engineers understand the IT side, the tech side, but it's uh, the cybersecurity side. But we've put a lot in it so that the IT folks actually understand the, the ICS and the OT side. For example, um, if you start doing a vulnerability assessment, Without implementing the proper procedures for ICS, you'll start knocking over your, your PLCs and you'll disrupt the process environment. If you don't get vendor certification before you start patching PCs in the process environment, you can disrupt the process environment. And so we take all those caveats and all of those elements that you see in real life and we put into the game so you have that cross-collaborative experience. And so it doesn't really matter if they have a lack of experience because we provided all the support. So when you're playing the game, it gives you hints. It tells you what you've done good, what you've done bad. If you don't understand what something is, click on the help and it tells you what this thing is. And in the portal, in the new pro version, the portal actually has a getting started with red versus blue and it has introduction to red team tactics, introduction, introduction to ICS. So the, and these are all considered, these are all mini courses. They're not meant to be full blown courses to see you got to sit there for hours doing this. They're just little mini guided labs to help you along as you, as you go through the game. Cause the whole point of the learning exercise is to do it with the gamification, to do it with the red versus blue, not go through a long lectured course. No, absolutely. And I, I only wish, you know, this was an option when I was just getting started in my automation career at a, I'm not going to mention the names again, but a very sizable company. And I think the only, I would say, cybersecurity initiative that uh, we truly had in place was, you know, those random phishing emails that the company would send you. And then you'd get a report or a conversation from your manager who would tell you, well, like you clicked on this link, you shouldn't have. And like, we're now being, I would say, under questioning for not following the right procedures and not being trained enough. And to be honest with you, I don't think they even trained us in good cybersecurity practices. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I fully agree with you that it shouldn't be a fully like loaded PhD in cybersecurity, but ultimately it gets you enough information where you can start asking maybe different questions. You see a bigger picture as we, again, as we talked the last three weeks with Dave, it's, uh, it's maybe difficult to understand what's going on outside of your core, uh, I would say like team or expertise, right? And so, so it allows you to kind of understand uh, what is happening at the, at the full business scale. But no, I, I think it's a, it's a really great tool. I'm certainly looking forward to our episode with uh, Dave. I'm trying to put a little bit of pressure on him so that he <laughs> actually makes it happen, but I think it's going to be really interesting. Well, well uh, thank you, Vlad. I was just going to say, you know, uh, since you, you know, you wish you said you wish this was around whenever you were, uh, you know, growing up in the, in the industry and everything like that. Well, my, ne my next venture, my next startup is going to be uh, time travel. So I'll hook you up. Perfect. I love it. We, we look forward to ThreatGen 2.0, the time travel startup. I'm sure we're giving Robert an aneurysm right about now. Uh, perfect. No, so actually, you're, my, my lead developer, Aaron, and, and business partner, Aaron, should yeah. be, he's the one you're giving an aneurysm. Oh, 
No, no, no. You're giving him the aneurysm. I'm just calling it out. No, perfect. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. We've got we've got some people to uh, to thank. I'm gonna let Vlad play uh, play a noise. I'm gonna thank some people, and uh, we've got some more questions for you, Clint. Sure. There we go, Dave. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this episode and the entire cybersecurity theme. Uh, Phoenix episode or Phoenix Contacts uh, Guard family just won a controls engineering award. You guys should absolutely go ahead and check that out. Now, the MGuard family is designed to provide cybersecurity protection and network resilience, all in a rugged and industrial environments, combining features of a stateful packet inspection firewall, an AT router, and an endpoint cyber secu- or security appliance. The MGuards were engineered to be both IT and OT friendly, which we all know are exceptionally difficult, uh, with features such as firewall assistant, and easy protect mode, the M guards are simple to configure securely while still providing unassailable protection for your critical assets. So as I mentioned before, this very much uh, fits kind of that level three firewall uh, security solution. Uh, as Miriam talked about on episode 46, they also have an entire cloud uh, side of the M guard family that you guys should absolutely go ahead and check out. Again, we want to thank Phoenix Contact USA for their support of this episode and everything in general. I will again uh, shout out everyone's, well, my good friend, Clint's good friend, everyone's good friend, uh, Pascal Ackerman. He has a new industrial cybersecurity book out. If you guys have not signed up for the giveaway, Vlad, go ahead and hold that up. Um, We are giving away the book, one in the month of February, 2020. It comes with dozens or hundreds of hours of, uh, of, of labs, of everything you need. Uh, the biggest question that we have left is where Pascal literally finds the time uh, to go ahead and write all of that in addition to, you know, the rest of the life that he has. So go ahead and check that on manufacturinghub.live. We will also go ahead and drop that link in the show notes. Uh, so, so, Clint, I think that this is this is very exciting. And I, I want to ask you about career advice, which is a question that we normally ask people. Um, and I'm interested to, to hear your career advice because it seemed like you had a lot of opportunity to do learning. So, and, and I think, especially on the cybersecurity side, it takes a lot of time and effort and probably mentorship and community to learn what you need to learn to become an expert uh, such as you. So what, what is the best advice that you have for, uh, for career advice of someone looking to get into or expand their knowledge in the cybersecurity realm? First and foremost, um, get involved in the communities, mm-hmm. you know, your local, your, your local DC 713, your OWASP, your beer ISAC, shout out to beer ISAC, um, you know, but get involved with the local communities, even virtual right now, if you have to, um, that's going to be your, your, your quickest and the best access to knowledge, to friends mm-hmm. in the industry community. And second would be start where your interest to where your interest yeah. is cybersecurity is so multifaceted. I mean, mm-hmm. there's something for every skill set. If you're a programmer, obviously, you know, if you like to tinker with electronics, obviously, but mm-hmm. if you like to write, if you're an artist, if you like to do research, there is there is a some sort of vertical slice of every skill set within cybersecurity. You know, probably not like basket weaving, I would think maybe, but you know, (laughs) but for the most part, you know, there's a skill set that is needed in cybersecurity. So start there first, join the communities, get involved and start there first, because you're going to excel faster in something that you're excited about, something that you enjoy. Um, And then the third one would be take that skill set and contribute to the community, right? So if you are interested in writing, write cybersecurity articles, do some research, um, you know, and, and start to contribute to the community. That's how you're going to be, you know, that you're going to become a friend to the community. You're going to become credible. You're getting your work out there. So, and you're excited. And, and when you're giving to the community, the community is going to want to give back to you. So those are the top three things that I'd recommend. Um, just develop the skill set within the context of cybersecurity that you're interested in and get involved in your local or virtual cybersecurity uh, communities. That's, that's the biggest thing. 
Well, you mentioned no, a couple no, of I... names. Sorry, as a follow-up, could you relist those for us? What what would be some like virtual community examples that people could uh, take a look at at the very least? Yeah, look for your local uh, DefCon chapters, your DC. Like so, here DC. I mean, I said DC seven one three because that's specifically our, our our local chapter here. But your DC groups, your DefCon local chapters. I mean, that's you know. But uh, so um, you know, everybody in cybersecurity knows what DefCon is. Um, it's you know largest cybersecurity conference and very historic. But um, but you have your DC, um, and so you have your DefCon conferences. Some of them, uh, OWASP, O-W-A-S-P, uh, there's still 2,600 communities around. Um, and, and so there's those in the ICS slash OT industry has beer ISAC, like literally beer, B-E-R hyphen ISAC information uh, sharing and analysis centers, I guess is what it stands for. I don't know. It's just a community. I forget what ISAC stands for. I just know it's an ISAC. Um, but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and there's, there's, but there's also other professional groups to get involved with, right? So um, there's, there's the ISACs, the, the local groups. There's the ISSA groups, um, the Information System Security Association. Um, there's, there's those groups. You have InfraGuard. You know, if uh, if you qualify for InfraGuard, so there's lots of groups and communities, professional and social, that you can get involved with. You know, I think here so we have Haha. <laughs> So as Vlad is going through and, and writing all of those down, uh, so Clint, you kind of mentioned get involved in where you have skills or where you have an interest. So we, we talk about how there needs to be more cybersecurity awareness on the, like the industrial side, right? Most facilities are not secure or aware of their cybersecurity issues. Is there a need for more people in the cybersecurity communities? There always is. And let me back up and so, uh, this the concept of cybersecurity awareness, right? The, yeah. There's there's not a lack of cybersecurity awareness in industrial mm-hmm. uh, environments, operations environments. At this point, I think everybody's sick of hearing about cybersecurity awareness. Everybody in the on the planet is well aware they're supposed to be aware of cybersecurity, right? Okay. Um, and it, so at this point, um, what we need is a a, a better cybersecurity. Intelligence, right? We need a we need a better sense of cybersecurity threat awareness. We need a better understanding of what those threats are and what we should be looking out out for. And the 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 industry as a whole, from users to to CISOs, mm-hmm. need to. Uh, there's a, did a whole presentation yesterday on um, why people still have hold my beer moments in cybersecurity, even though they know they're not supposed to click on the cat video. Right. But there's a, so that's why I call it. It's we, we, we have to have, we have to make better cybersecurity decisions is what it is. It's not that everybody's aware of the threats and everybody's pretty well educated at this point on what you shouldn't click on. So I would say we need two things in this industry. Number one, Mm -hmm. we definitely need more people in ICS and OT, because there's mm-hmm. still businesses, organizations, consultants, people are still clamoring, looking for somebody to help with that. So we definitely yeah. need that. I would say, as a whole, the cybersecurity industry, yes, needs more people, but I don't, I no longer think there's a skills gap in the way that we think of there being a skills gap. Okay. I think, I think we have a hiring problem. I think that um, people, you know, hiring managers, HR, whomever it is, I think that they're making it too difficult to get into the industry because there is lots of talent out there. As I've, as I've really set out on this endeavor of edu- cybersecurity education several years mm-hmm. ago, I've started seeing that there is an overabundance of talent and people wanting to get in, into the industry, but we're creating our own barriers for allowing those people to get into our industry. That's where the problem is. So that's the two things we need. We need okay, to be, so- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no. So I, I was going to say, I, I I can generally go down down the path and agree that most people are either cybersecurity aware or they should be aware or they should have had the opportunities to do that. Typically, this is the segment where I don't have a setup and I ask you to predict the future. But so if, if those are the two things that we need, Clint, how do we get there? How do we get from I'm tired of hearing about cybersecurity issues to we have cybersecurity action plans, right? And we actually follow the action plans and we have trainings and we follow the trainings 
and how do we hire the right people if we have talent and we're not hiring the right people? Yep. So the answer is gamification. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, that's um, the show, folks. Thank you, yeah. Clint. Um, so there, the two sides of that. So number one, I'll start with how do we hire the people, right? My advice is simple. Look for, look for aptitude and passion above credentials. So, you know, stop looking for degrees, stop looking for credentials. Yes. Those are important sometimes. And yes, they will show you some of what you have done, but look for passion and aptitude and skills above all, then look at credentials if you need to and, and, and degrees and stuff like that. If you have, we need to have a better way to identify people with skills and aptitude and accept those people into our organizations and that skill set, and be willing to grow talent. Don't always Mm -hmm. look for the unicorns that pisses me off so bad. You know, stop looking for the unicorn. Stop looking for the one person to solve it all for you and be willing to grow talent. And so that's how we, that's, that's how we look at, at, at getting, finding that untapped talent and getting it in our, in our industry. And as far as how do we make more actionable cybersecurity from awareness, stop treating it like an annual check the box exercise, the Mm -hmm. same stupid CBT over and over again, where people are getting bored and they're going through the motions. You're not educating them on anything. This is the mm-hmm. way, this is how you, this is how you change the way you change cybersecurity awareness is you give people the juice, you give them the, you, you give them the dirt, right? Um, mm-hmm. Perfect example. My mom came to me the other day and she goes, this is not because I'm a cybersecurity professional. She was genuinely <laughs> interested. She goes, have you heard of those new malicious QR codes? And da, 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 da. And I'm like, and she wanted to know more and she was interested and she was watching a video about it. People don't want to be shown a stupid email and said, look at how this email is spoofed and everything like this. Would you click on it? Which of these was wrong? Da, da, da. Treat it like it's a documentary, you know, give people information. People are interested in the mysterious, right? Mm-hmm. And hackers and cybersecurity, you know, <laughs> you know, malicious activity. That's mysterious to people. People find that stuff interesting. You don't have to try to turn people into red teamers. But if you teach people about the mysterious element that's trying to attack them and the way that they do it, you know, um, that's what's going to make people really perk up and really watch these things. And, and, and yes, I believe gamification and gamified learning and simulations of playing games, I think is a part of it because we are a gaming culture. We, we are glued to our phones, playing points games and farming games and, and everything else. And we have points on our credit cards and airline miles, and we're a world of game. We're a gamified world already. And I think that's, what's going to engage people and keep it at the forefront of their mind. So. So I I love that. And I know Vlad will have follow-ups, but I I have one more follow-up question on this Clint. So I think generally everyone who we've spoken with said credentials in cybersecurity, they they can be good, but they're a huge barrier of entry because of the cost, right? So I think most people are agreeing with your statement. I, I guess the question becomes, how can an HR person, how can a engineering manager or a plant manager like how can someone who doesn't know about cybersecurity hire a cybersecurity person based upon passion and knowledge and less experience and credentials? Have your local experts that need the person hired sit down with you and tell them what they're looking for and get that person involved in the hiring process. And I'm tired of people telling me, well, you know, they're too busy to actually write out the recs and actually get involved with HR to do the hiring process. I'm sorry, if you're not willing to get involved with the hiring process and work with yep. HR to help them find people and or at least to, to be part of the interview and or help write the recs or to help mm-hmm. identify the people they're looking for, then whenever you get you know, and I don't want to down anybody, but I'm sorry, when you get a crap employee, you yep. deserve a crap employee. If you weren't part of the rec, uh, the rec, the creating the rec, yeah, and yeah. part of the hiring process. If you are somebody in this industry and you need help and you, and you are looking for someone, 
you know what you're looking for. You know what that passion looks like. You know what that mm-hmm. that skill set. You know what that looks for, or what that looks like. And I will, it, I will say, I will concede to the fact that not everybody already has those people on board, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you're some yep. startup and you don't have that person on board yet, and you don't know what to look for. Well. At that point, that's when you reach out to your community and your network and you ask the people that do know. And if you don't, if you're not part of those communities and you don't know where to look, you're already failing. So, you know, this is where we said before, you got to rely on your networking and you got to rely. If you're going in this completely blind Mm -hmm. and you don't have that network of friends to tell you what to look for, you don't know what to look for. Then you start Googling. Then you start watching podcasts like this one. I mean, the information is out there, like the X-Files. The truth is out there. You know, you just got to go get it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. I think all of these are great recommendations. I'm going to let Vlad ask you a couple of questions, and then uh, then we'll wrap up, Clint. Well, I was going to ask, you know, on that same topic, I guess, of education in general, looking at it from the other perspective, right, of an applicant or someone trying to either switch or get into cybersecurity after Again, it could be they could be pursuing a different career, or maybe pursuing a, a bachelor's degree, even in programming, and they're looking to get into cybersecurity. What would you recommend? Again, obviously, they probably have the general willingness to learn, and you know all those. I would say maybe extracurricular um, check boxes checked. But what would you recommend in terms of learning cybersecurity and properly presenting yourself at an interview that's going to most likely ask you questions about the different aspects of cybersecurity. Is it, is it again, some of the credentials that you can get? Is it some YouTube videos, uh, a Udemy course? Like what could be, I would say, like best uh, bank for your buck, so to speak, in terms of learning cybersecurity? Right. So number one, don't start with security. And, and, and don't, don't just start with cybersecurity. You have to understand that you're not going to be good at securing something if you don't understand what you're securing, right? So if you want to be a, uh, if you want to get into cybersecurity and secure Windows networks, then you need to learn and understand Windows networks. If you want to, if you want to be, if you want to get into cloud security, well, you need to learn cloud first before you learn cloud security, right? Um, So if you want to do hard skill cybersecurity, the first thing you have to do is start learning operating systems and start or, or networks or whatever facet you want to get into. You start there first, right? So a, a good starting place, right? So if I want to get into cybersecurity and I don't know where I want to get into, I would say at the first thing you need to do is go for go for something like your network plus certification and then your security plus certification which at least gives you a basic foundation of networking technology gives you a basic foundation of security technology that may be able to show you where you want to go from there right so i always recommend beginners go they're they're relatively inexpensive and they're a good base knowledge right so i recommend everybody go for their network plus and then uh and then security plus uh, if you're a very if you're just a straightforward beginner right um if you are looking you know, if you're looking for coding skills, you want to learn Python, you want to learn cybersecurity in general, you know, the easiest way to start learning cybersecurity, programming, you know, Python, PowerShell, whatever, I hate to say it, but Udemy is the cheapest place you're going to get a lot of quality education on broad cybersecurity, coding and stuff like that. There's another, like, if you're interested in getting into pen testing, probably the best resource you can do is Pentester Academy, uh, pentesteracademy.com. Vivek Ramachandran is, uh, he started that several years ago and it has turned into probably the best bang for your buck in red team skills, learning all sorts of pen testing and hacking and Python programming and encryption and everything. When I think when I signed up years ago, it was like $39 a month. And the courses are, are uh, amazing for red team skills and, and all of that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of resources like that in Udemy and place like that where it costs you pennies on the dollar compared to other certification uh, organizations uh, to get that beginner level skill. Okay. Not everybody has $7,000 to throw around for a certification. Yep. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that, that has been our kind of overall conversation is if you work for a company and they're willing to spend $7,000 for you to go get that certification and you can do it, by all means, go ahead and do it. 
but it seven thousand dollars times two three five certifications becomes a large barrier of entry uh for, for many people yeah. um yep. absolutely so i will say uh, pen testing is penetration testing if you guys are not uh not, not familiar uh with the lingo um and it looks like vlad has one more question then we're going to wrap up well, I wanted to go back to the, I would say, the future of uh, cybersecurity okay. thought, but more, I would say, you know, you're developing your platform. I know that there's a couple of announcements coming up, but what are you seeing this maybe red versus blue or even like ThreadGen as uh, as the company develop into over, I would say, three to five years? And again, maybe also thinking back on the landscape of educating uh, these enterprises on cybersecurity. How is that going to change? I let's say right now, because we're really, we're the only company on the market doing active adversary red team versus blue team, uh, cybersecurity training. There's a lot of CTF technology, a lot of cyber range technology, but nobody's doing player versus player, team versus team, mm -hmm. active cybersecurity, you know, against each other, where you're literally trying to attack and defend network environments for ICS OT, um, enterprise. And that's only going to increase for us and mm -hmm. our capabilities there, our, our red team and blue team AI uh, capabilities are, are, are growing. And like I said, we have a, a few big announcements that are going to, uh, that are coming out soon um, that I think is really going to um, launch the, and, and proliferate the exposure of what we have out there. And this is not only what I predict, but this is what I hope. Right now, we're the only ones doing active adversary red versus blue. Mm -hmm. I hope this spawns a new revolution in uh, cybersecurity education. Mm -hmm. I hope that, you know, I hope that gamification, you know, yes, yes, I would love to have the market cornered and retire, um, you know, <laughs> in two years, but it's not going to happen, right? We're a piece of the entire puzzle and there's, you know, there's a big industry to help fix, right? So I hope that I hope that we create a movement that changes the way we look at cybersecurity awareness training, right? I hope we, it changes the way we think about IR tabletop exercises and incident preparedness. I hope that we are just the spearhead of an entire movement of people that come and compete with us on what we're doing and change the industry for the better in terms of how we make training actionable and how mm -hmm. we make tabletop exercises effective and actionable and how we train like it's real instead of just being one-sided and just sitting there in your isolation solving puzzles on a jeopardy board right mm -hmm. you know let's i want that i want to change the industry that's what i hope we do that's what i think we're going to do um you know i think as soon as this, as soon as people the more people find out about this i think more people will start chasing this idea i agree I was going to say, absolutely. Go ahead, Dave. So I appreciate it, Clint. Uh, as it happens every week, this has been an amazing conversation, and we should just stop telling people that we're a 60-minute show because we always go over <laughs> 60 minutes. But uh, but once again, we will try to be uh, mindful of people's time. We'll go ahead and ask you kind of the wrap-up questions that we ask everyone. Um, and I know you've got a couple of good answers to this. So I'm going to say, Clint, recommend us a book from Clint and recommend us a book from someone not named Clint uh, for this next section, please. <laughs> Rick, well, I only, I only really had a hand in writing one book, which is, okay. you know, that one back there. Um, but, you know, I will tell you that I do have a, a red versus blue strategy guide coming out. We have the basic user Ooh. guide already yeah. available, but I'm writing the red versus blue strategy guide, which is not only um, a, a guide to helping you with the red versus blue gamer gamification. Mm -hmm. I'm making it a, an actual real life handbook. So Ooh, nice. because red versus blue is supposed to mimic real life, right? Anyway, so, it, so I'm making the strategy guide to where it's a game guide, but it's also a handbook for real world cybersecurity mm -hmm. and to include industrial. So, um, that's the recommendation. Look for it. That's what I'm, that's for me. Um, for, a book by a person not named Clint, you know, I've got to say the two-part series from Pascal Ackerman, which is the industrial cybersecurity 
part one and industrial cybersecurity part two, because I think all said and told, you're looking at like what 1200 pages total between all of those books. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, as you, I've known Pascal for a long time. I know his work because I've worked with him. He's worked for Threatgen for a while. Um, and I know, I know his quality of work. So I know he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And when you look at both those books, it's not like first edition and second edition where this second edition is, is updated. No, from the first one, it's a continuation. It really yep. is one big book. So uh, I, that's, I recommend those two, the one that Vlad held up earlier. And then there's a first edition, which is really a first volume, not an edition. It's the green Absolutely. book. The green book. I, I love it. So I'm going to say, if Vlad really wants to play this game, I'm going to play the red team. I'm going to hack in and ask Clint if I can get an early copy of the handbook. We won't give it to Vlad, and I'll just go ahead and roll them um, <laughs> on, on stream. In, in true in true red team fashion, that's what's going to be uh, what happens, ladies and, gen ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fantastic, Clint. So last question for you is, is who should reach out? Who do you want to connect with? You know, what are you looking for? You know, who do you want to talk to about red versus blue? Who should reach out to you? Everybody. Everyone. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, um, in any anybody, anybody who's concerned that their current cybersecurity training, their incident response training, um, their educational curriculum, if it's just not as effective as they think it should be, if they want, if it's boring, if they want something more exciting, they want something more engaging. If they want something new, modern and different. Um, I mean, you just, if you would just long story short, cause I'm a long winded person, as you've seen this episode, long story <laughs> short is that if you, if you're looking to basically take your cybersecurity training, your program, your curriculums or whatever, just kind of into the modern era, contact me. I love it. Uh, we, we will go ahead and uh, and pimp a little bit more ThreatGen. So you guys can go ahead and check them out at ThreatGen.com. You guys can connect with Clint uh, on LinkedIn. He is fairly active. Uh, you're fairly active here. Uh, you guys can go ahead and check out their YouTube. I think Clint has some of the most, I mean, strange but interesting uh, cybersecurity YouTube videos out there, including a number of early S4 videos, um, which I, I watch uh kind of the intros of uh speaking of which you guys will be at s4 in the middle of april correct S4X? yes we will so, okay yep yep we will be there absolutely we are we are a sponsor at the beer bash and we'll also have a cabana booth oh perfect so i've been told uh miami in april at the cabana is, is where you want to be um and so i think it will be it'll be a good time i don't know if vlad and i are going to be able to uh to make it down but uh, I hear that S4 is always a S4X is a fantastic way to uh, to kick off the cybersecurity or just go hang out with the community, right? If you want to talk to the it, community, yeah. it's, it's an amazing conference. I was really sad that it didn't kick off last year, um, yep. and that's that is the I'll tell you right now, S4 is the mothership of the ICS OT cybersecurity community. Absolutely, absolutely. I have only heard positive things about it. So Vlad has a comment. I was gonna I was gonna mention at the I guess to the start of your last thought, Dave. So all of the links and references from this episode will be posted on the website as well. So if you're listening to this in audio form, yeah. you know where to find the links. It's gonna be manufacturing.live. Uh, just in case, just I've been writing down a lot of notes. <laughs> so I wanna make sure that we get uh, all of that to our listeners and or viewers, but uh, definitely appreciate all those references, Clint. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Vlad. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been episode 50 of Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. You guys can go ahead and connect with us. You can find everything in the show notes. Uh, we would like to say if you're listening on podcasts and have listened to this far, far Please hit the subscribe button. Please rate us five stars. Uh, I like to joke, Clint, that we actually know why that affects the algorithm, but that is not this podcast. That is another <laughs> podcast that people talk about algorithms. Uh, so until next time, we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Thanks, Thank everyone. everyone. Thanks for Thank having you, me. Clint.